1 p.m. on the East Coast, and the East Coast arrogance in me would suggest that's the only time zone that matters. You can at me on Twitter if you want, but this is Market Call. Guy Adami, Dan Nathan, we will be joined by the great Carter Braxtonworth in just a few minutes. Today's episode brought to you by FactSet, financial data and analytics that are powered by tomorrow. They also happen to be, Dan, our data or data provider. Love FactSet. Love you. Love the weekend's football. Love a national championship game tonight. Markets loving uh, the potential for the Fed to sort of relax on things. A lot to discuss here. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I mean, you and I had a conversation earlier this morning. I mean, the the just the reversal in, in the futures on Friday morning, right, after we saw that um, the, the December jobs data, it just seems so odd to me. And it was more, I guess, important in, in the bond market what happened, you know, mm-hmm. in yields. And Carter's going to go through. He had a great call in yields last week, right before we saw the 10-year come off really hard over a couple days and continuing um, into today. But I guess the conversation guy is, is, is again, I mean, it seems like every Every rally that we have seen over the last year, going back to kind of March, April of 2022, when the Fed had just first cut for the first time, people were saying, yeah, they're not going to do a whole heck of a lot, right? And then again in June, right? It was like, okay, well, maybe they slow the pace of hikes, right? And we have this huge rally. And then again in October. And what has happened each time? They've just been knocked down. So we've made a series um, you know, of lower highs. Yeah. And if you look at the S&P 500, I mean, we see that 200-day, which is below that downtrend. It's just, I, I don't know, we're just not going to kind of V-bottom here, right? Like, I mean, it just seems kind of I, odd. I, I don't think so. And if we're trying to game out what's happening, uh, clearly a lot of this was predicated on the numbers that came out, as you mentioned. The services wage number, I think, gave people some reason for optimism, maybe yeah. rightly so. Over the weekend, you had a lot of people talking about, you know, the potential for this soft landing got a little clearer or I guess a little more attainable after Friday's number. And I think what we're seeing, in my opinion, is the market participants, whatever they are, machines, human beings, whatever it is, getting ahead of the CPI report on Thursday. And I think what the market is saying, you know, they're playing a game of chicken here. They're betting that the CPI number comes in somewhat muted. Uh, which will continue this rally. And if it doesn't, well, then they'll have the opportunity to get out of names that they bought. That's what it seems like to me. But to your point, this has been upper left, lower right, lower highs, lower lows, very well defined. That would potentially change on a close above this trend line-ish or potentially change above that recent high we made on that last CPI print where we had that knee-jerk higher and then subsequently went lower. I don't think, though, that's what's going to happen. Yeah, to your point, I mean, that that move last month, it was it got right above, just kind of like kind of picked its head up above that downtrend for a brief moment and then reversed intraday. And before we look at the NASDAQ, I think it's important to kind of think about, and, and Carter's going to go into much greater den, uh, length about yields, but let's just pull up that 10-year chart that we just spoke about. I mean, look at that move over the last couple of days. And, and when you look at what's outperforming so far over the last couple of days, it really is kind of high valuation tech. They like rates going lower. So pull up that 10 year mm-hmm. and you see where that uptrend that's been in place here, you see that rising 200 day there. And so, you know, lower yields and, and let's just take it to the NASDAQ, the NDX 
NASDAQ 100 here. And, um, you know, guy, there's been a little stealthy rally going on in like some cheap semiconductor names. If you look at Intel's up a lot, uh, just this year, Micron's up a lot, Western Digital's up a lot, the SMH ETF, the track semis is up um, about eight and a half percent or so. But, you know, the NDX could have another three, four percent rally and it still wouldn't be uh, near that 200 day moving average. So it would take a significant move lower in rates, which would actually signal you know, a, a soft landing, a level of confidence by big money pools, right, that we're going to have a soft landing. Well, I mean, you can make that argument, which you're doing now, it could indicate a soft landing, or it could indicate that things are slowing down in such a meaningful way that it's not necessarily a soft landing. I mean, they've basically orchestrated um, a, a real slowdown, a real downturn in the economy. So I would submit if rates were to go lower from here, and that's, again, if you look at if you look at the rate chart, you know, maybe if we can go back to that chart real quickly, you know, maybe we have one more little bounce here and yields to the upside. But I've said for a while uh, that I think we're going to challenge that uptrend line, take a look at potentially the 200 day moving average and the inversion in twos tens, which got out to 83 basis points, came back into either side of 50 basis points, potentially could go to that one percent that I thought it would get to late last year in the form of whatever it is, you know, 335, 430, you know, it doesn't really matter. I think the level, the absolute level would be enough to spook the market. And if you look today, and I'm not trying to jump ahead, but banks into earnings, despite this broader market rally are not participating. So a lot of strange, again, cross currents. And here's one that's pretty simple though, guy. If if, if you think about it this way, it's just, you know, it's, Crude can't get out of its own way. You have mm-hmm. yield lower. You have look at the Dixie, the U.S. dollar index. We have a chart of that here. It's it's had a huge two day move. Um, almost got to that 200 day moving average. But if you look at that, it's kind of broken out of the range that has been over the last few weeks. It's trading at levels it hasn't been in since early summer or so. So if you have lower inflationary reading, you have a lower dollar, you have lower yields. That's something that is going to be supportive of stocks. And especially after the one year that we have had, I, again, yes. I don't think it's happening that way. I agree with that. It's a weaker dollar, that headwind that a stronger dollar created. I mean, Microsoft specifically guided on the back of a stronger dollar. There were many other companies as well. Yeah. Obviously, that's abated. But what I will say, and I know you know this as well, it's, but it's worth pointing out that what also a weaker dollar does is is takes the headwind away from commodities and creates a bit of a tailwind. Now, you're not manifesting it in crude oil. I get it. You are seeing it in some of the precious metals, and you're seeing it in some of the base and the softs as well. So the dollar going lower, although supportive theoretically of stocks, is just going to, in my opinion, accelerate or be the next accelerant for the commodity market, which, of course, is inflationary. So yeah. There are no easy solutions to this entire thing, Dan. Yeah, one, one quick point about the dollar while we still have it up here. And you just mentioned Microsoft. So it was back in that June quarter where they guided down and it was on the dollar. And again, you know, when these companies, these large U.S. multinationals, when they guide, they talk about, well, in constant currency, this was what our mm-hmm. results were. And that's what they were saying back then. And I do think it's important this time last week, we were talking about some of the commentary out of Microsoft, out of CEO Satya Nadella. He sat down, I think, with CNBC uh, India, and he had some comments about um, massive headwinds to growth in the mm-hmm. U.S. and also um, in Europe. And and we were 
kind of dumbfounded a little bit. I mean, the stock was downgraded at UBS, but that comment out of Satya, and I listened to that interview. I watched that interview. He wasn't pre-announcing. He wasn't making some like like hugely bearish call, but investors shot first and asked questions right. later. And so again, now the dollar is going to be a tailwind, right? It shouldn't be, if you think about it, you know, year over year, it's going to start having easier comps. But I mean, at this point, it really is a demand game. And that's what we're going to learn over the next couple of weeks. Right. Yeah. So, and, so well, that's, but real quick, I mean, that's exactly right. One problem gets alleviated, another problem gets created. The problem with the do stronger dollar goes away to a certain extent. But on the other side of it, now you're starting to see a demand problem. So, you know, it's, it's, you flip one lever and you think, every, I'm not saying you, but the market yeah. thinks everything's okay, only to have another lever flip, the flip that basically counteracts the prior one. And that's, I think, the environment that we find ourselves in. Yeah. All right. You, you just mentioned what the dollar easing, what that might mean for commodities. And, and especially if the Fed were to kind of pivot to a, um, you know, a kind of easier stance and the hawkish stance they've been in, you know, this crude oil chart, we've been talking about it. We don't have to spend too much time on it here, but you see what's happening guy, right? It's kind of working itself into a little bit of a pennant into, into that corner here. And it's going to break one way or another, you know, mm -hmm. over the next few weeks or so. So it'll be really interesting to see how that does break, especially when people, um, a lot of investors, at least if you're looking at it through the, the lens of Chinese stocks are pretty excited about the China reopening, the, the, the hard, hard pivot that that government made as far as going from zero COVID to just kind of reopening. Free for you all, know, effectively. Yeah, but, but it's interesting, guy. You know, like, I get it. You know, and I was reading somebody this morning. I can't remember who it was, so I'm sorry if you're watching and, and I'm going to quote you here. But they're talking about, the, you know, oh, I think it was Peter Bookfar. And, and he was just saying the extent in which that that, that, co that country is reopening is like throw Europe and U.S. reopening at the same time together. It's that sort of umph. And again, you know, it's really only played itself out out in Chinese stocks. We haven't mm -hmm. really seen it in any other risk asset. So to me, if crude oil breaks lower, despite the continued optimism about China's reopening, that tells you something about, I think, the importance of Chinese contribution to global GDP. Maybe it's just waning a bit. Yeah. No, without question, I think you make a great point. The importance, obviously, not nearly, I guess, uh, the, the level it was a few years ago when every conversation we seemingly had about the market was predicated on, well, you know, China growth is going to lift the boats or lift the tide for all the boats here in the United States. I mean, maybe to a certain extent that's changed. And maybe that's a good thing, by the way, that we're not nearly as dependent. But you, one has to wonder, you know, what's going on there. And again, not to get all geopolitical on you, but every time you look at, you know, one of you go to any news um cable news network effectively down the middle and you'll see rumblings again china taiwan some of the things that are bubbling up there and then what is our recourse you know what are we going to do if in fact something were to happen there and what does it mean for the multinationals specifically the ones we talk about all the time apple starbucks mcdonald's uh, nike to a certain extent yep. and i can't believe that would be all you know that's sort of that tail risk that i think this market is not fully uh considering right now yeah no i agree um here here's a couple things really quickly we want to throw up just kind of the calendar for later on this week we have kb home um reporting earnings on wednesday thursday that cpi print that you just mentioned and i think taiwan semi um that mm -hmm. report will be really interesting and, and you know taiwan semi which is obviously you know a huge manufacturer right so an outsourced manufacturer for a lot of semiconductor companies be interesting to see what they have to say about capex because a lot of these u.s multinationals are going to be asking them to be creating right fabs um to make their chips in places outside of china 
in Taiwan. And that's just going to be a big story. And, you know, again, we talk about what it means for U.S. domicile chip companies. They're not exactly going to be making the fabs themselves. Most of these are fabless. They rely on companies like TSM. Uh, to do that. So it'll be interesting to see what they have to say. And then lastly, like you mentioned, you know, Friday morning, you get all those bank stocks, UNH and Delta are in there too. But I think that think about Citibank, Bank America, JP Morgan, uh, Wells Fargo, that'll be pretty pretty fascinating because some of those CEOs have had some differing views right over the last year. That's specifically Jamie Dimon at JP Morgan and uh, Moynihan over there at Bank America. He seemed to get a little more pessimistic of late. Um, talk to me a little bit about the concentration of all those bank stocks. I just threw one chart, the JP Morgan chart in here, guy. And you know, look at this thing. It looks like it really either is going to break out or it's going to fail and head back to that 50-day. Are you expecting a lot of – we're, we're going to take a much closer look on Thursday at these. Just wanted to throw this one chart up there. Well, I mean, people will look at this. If I didn't know what it was, the 50-day crossed through the 200-day to the upside. That's encouraging. And and I'll tell you, again, he's going to come on, but Carter drew a chart of this a while back. I mean, when I say a while back, a while back, I think it was the fall – and suggested we could see this type of move in some of these banks. Here we are. But now let's talk about the here and now. Does this continue? Um, personally, I don't think that it does. You know, I think a lot of these banks have rallied significantly since the fall low. And now the broader market, to a certain extent, it be, seems to be in a bit of a holding pattern. And I don't think the banks are going to be the thing that leads us down. But the banks, which were cheap, have progressively gotten a little more expensive over the last few weeks. So what do I think is going to happen? You could see one of these things where J.P. Morgan reports the knee jerk is higher. You come in on Monday, Tuesday, and it's giving it back, and then some. That's what I anticipate. Yeah, well, let's see what they have to say. You know about the lower rate environment. I know that sounds like a crazy thing to say, but when you have a tenure at three and a half, and it was two months ago at four and a quarter, and if the trajectory is lower, and you think you could be three percent, which Carter does, um, in the not so distant future, like what does that mean for some of these big money center banks, especially at a time where, again, the consumers getting a bit strapped, and you know some of the rates in which. You know, they use to buy cars or buy homes or this summer. They're going to stay elevated year over year, and that's going to crimp, you know, other consumer activity. All right. Speaking of consumer activity, and this is before we get to Carter, because we're going to talk to Carter on yields. We're going to talk to him on energy stocks, and we're going to talk to him really quickly um, on Tesla because he's had calls and all of those of late. But you highlighted first thing this morning when we were putting together our rundown for this conversation, guy, the move in Lulu. And this comes, yeah. what, a month and change after the gap that it had. And you've been talking about this on Fast Money, a market call. You were kind of aghast at the inventories that this fine company had heading into the holiday season. And here we are. They're talking about hits to margin. We get it. I mean, yeah, the inventory bill was massive. What does that mean for, for companies that are consumer discretionary like this? And also, what is it saying to you about the consumer um, and, and the environment we're going to be in over the next, I don't know, two, three Yeah, years. so not to pick on Lululemon at all because it's, it's a great company. With that said, they tried to explain away the inventory build as something that they planned for. And, you know, the, the inventory build was predicated on you know, the demand they were going to see, which I thought was complete horseshit at the time. I didn't use that word no, on fast didn't. money, but I basically said as much. And I said it the night they reported that the thing people were missing, in fact, was this huge inventory build and how by definition it's going to hurt margins going forward. Well, to your point, a month or so, a month and a half later, here we are. And when you see a stock that's as down as much as it's been uh, over the last year or so, and you see this continued move since beginning of December, 
it suggests, again, in my opinion, that we're going to take a look at the lows we saw a while back. And in this case, a while back takes us to, I think, June of last year. It's interesting we're saying last year now, but June of 2022. Lululemon is not cheap. Uh, Lululemon is not immune, again, like Apple, from what's going on with the consumer. And almost by definition, margins have to contract, which I think means a lower stock and a more reasonable valuation. You know, I don't know if you could do a read through through for the rest of retail, but what you can say is if one of the best operators falls victim to this, stands yeah. to reason that others will as well. Yeah, you know, and this is a fascinating juxtaposition to Nike, which is obviously an athleisure brand that, you know, it's a much, much bigger company and they basically have a much wider global footprint. But when you think about, you know, that, that stock into its lows, there was a huge gap. This was on their you know, their Q3 or their calendar Q3, right? And it was down, I think, at the that point, more than 50% from its all-time highs made within the last year or so. Well, here it is. It's now up 50%. It had that huge gap after those last earnings dealing with um, some of their inventory issues from 2022 a bit better here in the new season. But this is a tough one for all the things that you just mentioned. When you talk about valuation, I mean, maybe the dollar is a bit of a tailwind um, now. Maybe China reopening is really great. Maybe a, a Europe that's close to, um, you know, I don't know if it's close to bottoming or, or whatever. But um, like, talk to me a little bit about this chart and the performance of this company and what they just had to say, you know, two weeks ago and what, what Lulu is is in the mix of. Nike, listen, I mean, it's, I don't have to say this. Obviously, everybody knows Nike, the brand, how incredible a company is, but it's an expensive stock. And this bounce, you know, to a certain extent, you know, maybe people were trying to get ahead of on the short side or underinvested, which is a term that I hate, but there's some semblance of truth to it in a name like Nike. And maybe they're just trying to get themselves immersed in it here. But it's it, in this environment, it's too expensive. I would be fading this move. And by the way, last week, Tim Seymour on Fast Money, who's had a core holding of Nike for quite some time, was tactically shorting the stock. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, Dan, uh, that you know somebody that we admire a great deal, I don't want to speak out of turn here, but I think you know who I'm speaking of. I think he also initiated a short position here in Nike as well. Yeah, I you know looks attractive to me. It just seems to be a, an overshoot, and I'd play for um, you know a gap fill from you know which is also near that downtrend. That'd be a good back and fill. One last thing here, guy. Before we get to Carter, um, I just want to pull up this tweet from the at Macro Alf. His name is Alf. Love him. I had him on Alf. our program before. I thought this was really interesting in the in the seven recessionary episodes of the last fifty years. You have stock market bottomed on average twelve months after the first Fed cut. So the first Fed cut was March, right, of 2022, 13 months after the trough in unemployment rate, um, after, not before. Now, the third, you know, 13 months after the unemployment rate, um, you know, we, we trough, we're, we're troughing. We're at three and a half, 3.7%. That's what we've been banging around. So, I mean, I guess if you look at, again, the last seven episodes of uh, recession over the last 50 years, um, it's usually happened. It's, it's, you know, people are expecting some point in Q1. Um, and I'm just curious whether data like this, does it help inform your thought process? Because again, you and I, we think we're going to say $200 in earnings for 2023 earnings. We say, why would you put a multiple in the high teens? You'd put something maybe 16 or something like that. 16 times 200, 3,200, we're at 3,900 in the S&P 500 right now. So the third or the second bullet point here, 13 months after exclamation point, the trough in unemployment rate. Well, we just had a, a jobs number. We came out at three and a half percent. I mean, that's as troughy as it gets, if that's the word, right? I mean, I think when he's talking about trough, I think he means 
uh, a low print. If, in fact, that's the case, the market bottoming out 13 months later, we're, we're talking about, you know, sometime in early 2024, if I'm yeah. reading this correctly. So it th that you read that in, in a vacuum that doesn't that does not suggest we're going to have all that rosy year for the U.S. equity market. All right, let's do it. Carter Braxton Worth of Worth Charting. Thank you for being so patient, Carter. How are you, sir? I'm good, man. How are you? Good. We're, we're, do we're doing great. Hey, listen, we wanted to do, you made a great call last week. It was before that move in yields, and we didn't have an opportunity to speak to you about it. And I just want to throw up our chart, if you don't mind, of the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield. We're going to go through all of your energy charts. We got to hit, you also made a really good call late last week in Tesla. I hope you people are subscribing to. Well, starting early, but you're kind of What's anyway, the tagline that you have for him in 2023? Well, I mean, somebody came up with something good. I mean, well, I forget the one, but you know mine. I mean, yeah. no, no emojis with hearts, just yeah. charts. But then yeah. somebody else came out with Descartes. something. Something Descartes, right, there. right. Yeah. That's good. Well, well, Carter, maybe you can find that person on the Twitter and license it. All right, let's pull up this 10-year chart really quickly. And what was the impetus? Why did you make that call last week? Um, we had that that nice bounce. I mean, listen, you see how, you know, the, the uptrend, we never really touched that uptrend. But after that bounce for what, three, four, five, up to maybe 385, you were like, enough is enough. You think not only are going to go back and retest that uptrend, you think we're going to go back to 3%. Talk to us about the thought process there. Yeah, I mean, you know, 3%. It can seem like a long way, but it really isn't, right? I mean, we were we were at that level back in the summer. I guess the the thing that's appealing to the eye is that the rally, the move up in rates before this uh, this give back of the last five six sessions, it fell short of that spike in October, and so that sort of seemed like the setup. Uh, to my eye, lower, obviously, and. You know, how much lower unknown, but I think as low as 3% and then some. Yeah. And, and just real quickly, let's see if we can throw up an S&P 500 chart here. We have a year, one year, the one that we were using before. Thoughts on this kind of two-day rally, um, you know, that got sparked by the jobs data. And again, from a fundamental standpoint, it doesn't really justify um, to me that sort of rally, but sentiment was really poor here. We had that little, um, you know, that little range that we'd been consolidating a little bit about. Um, I was short into that. I kind of got taken out of that short. But again, um, you know, unless this thing and Guy made the point just before we have the CPI print um, coming up on Thursday morning. Um, you know, the last time we had a CPI print, we had a big gap higher too. the algos read it as bullish for equities. But, you know, by midday, Guy, weren't we given most of that back? Mm, well, and and then some. So, you know, we'll see. I'll say this before Carter opines here in the S&P. If he's right about 3% in the 10-year yield, if people will say, well, that's going to be extraordinarily supportive of stocks, I would submit it's going to be anything but Carter. And I think you would agree with that before you talk about the S&P chart. Right. At this point, to have yields start sinking to that extent, three or even below, it can only be right that uh, there's something not quite right in terms of the perspective level of output, so goods and services, right? That we have a softening that's getting worse. And every day you see the layoffs, Goldman Sachs, 3,200 people announced today. So we shall see. I think in terms of the chart of the S&P, if you were to, we're all biased, all of us, that's the human condition. If mm -hmm. that didn't have S&P 500 on there, and that was just a chart, and you said, well, is that software? Is that a beverage company? Is that an energy? There's nothing about the chart that would make you go out and buy it. At least not to my eye. Now, 
uh, when one starts to look into it, oh, it's the S&P, maybe it's a head and massive head and shoulders bottom from the June shoulder and the head being October and we're now forming a new uh, show. I mean, you could see anything you want. The, the reality is, is that for now, it's a limpish, weak, uninspiring chart. And it doesn't matter that it's S&P, the chart itself is, is lackluster. And I think the burden of proof remains on the bull. The bear says nothing other than look at the damn thing. One, one quick question for you, Carter. So let's just say we continue to rally. Let's say the market participants perceive the CPI data as something that's worthy of the stock ra uh, market rallying. So maybe that would be too hot um, or, you know what I mean? And, and then causing the Fed to, to kind of pause. And let's just say earnings, are, you know, as we get into them over the next week, week and a half or not, um, you know, as bad as some people think. And we kind of make a move above that downtrend and we start to consolidate above that 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 downtrend. Is that enough to kind of change your mind if we were to break this one year downtrend? And you saw that tweet that we just mentioned is that, you know, the last seven times, the last 50 years on average in recessionary environments that the S&P or stocks in general have bottomed, you know, 12 months after that first rate cut, which will be, you know, March of this year, that'll anniversary. And I'm just curious, what would be the condition in that chart that we're looking at right here that would cause you to kind of change your mind? Because Guy and I are thinking about it a bit more from a fundamental standpoint, from mm -hmm. earnings estimates, that sort of thing, but from a technical standpoint. Right. You know, it's as simple as this improvement, right? It's like, yeah. what would make one in anything? You've been on six dates. It's not going so well. No, it is going well. It's improving. You, you've been at a job and every day the boss screams at you and he stops screaming at you. Whatever the heck it is, the point is, it's simply that. It's just time and price, as you described it. You know, maybe it's getting above the, the downturn, then falling back, then pushing back again. But the, the, the simple answer is just more progress, more gains, yeah. improvement. All right. Two things. Let, let's run through this because... Um Again, you had a nice call on uh, on worthcharting.com on your uh, service last week, and you were talking about the relative outperformance um, that you've seen in the OIH, the XLE versus the XOP, right, which is the ETF that tracks the underlying commodity. Walk us through that. And then Guy has been all over this relationship from a fundamental standpoint, so love to get your take on that. But first, uh, talk to us about the technical setup here because it, it, it is – looking kind of compelling. And I got to tell you, you know, is it one of these things that the longer we bang around at these levels, you know what I mean? The more likely we are to break out, but I'll leave that to you. Yeah. There's a, a very distinct uh, sort of divergence going on. I mean, today I think Exxon is down pretty good and Schlumberger is up pretty good. For instance, those are the two biggest, one being the big integrated, the other being the biggest, of course, uh, oil services. And, but that's been going on for a while, and it's just now getting more pronounced. We have some charts, and we can look at them. There's the OIH, which, of course, is an ETF that captures the group with, with Schlumberger, Halliburton, Baker Hughes, I guess, being the biggest constituents. Now, what my eye sees is that, right? We can toggle, take it away, put it back, take it away. But uh, that's very well formed. Now, if we look at the same thing as a relative on a two-panel, there's the same thing. That bottom panel is relative performance. To the XLE. So for instance, what do we know? We know that right now the OIH is not above, it is below its own October, November high. But look at the relative. We're making new relative highs. So this is the juxtaposition of one area of the energy sector to another. Um, another way to do it is, is this. Now, these are three very liquid ETFs. You've got OIH, which is dominated again uh, by Schlumberger, Halliburton, and Green. You've got XLE, which is essentially Chevron and Exxon at 40 plus percent. And then you've got XOP, bring up the rear, Unch, 
So imagine in a three month period, it's shocking that one area within the sector is up 34, excuse me, 40%. The other is unch. And that's um, the E&P names like Oxy and, and, mm -hmm. and so forth. Another way to do this, it, it, exactly. You, you uh, look, the first, if we toggle, the first is just three lines, uh, comparative. The other way to do it to really expose the real relative is to hold the XLE as a constant. And you see what's going on here. There is the market, and there must be some fundamental reason why, is truly believing in um, the, the likes of Schlumberger, Halliburton, Baker, and not in, in things like Monroe and MPC and uh, Apache and so forth. Now, listen, Dan, it's, it's interesting. I, OIH now, I think, as I'm looking at it, it's 312 or so. And its ability to continue to defend on the downside, sort of that 275, 280 level, and continue to bounce, I thought has been interesting. And it's been doing it despite the fact that the broader market, obviously, until the last couple sessions has been selling off. And the fact that crude oil can't get out of its own way. And I thought that was a bit of a tell. It's like that poker thing. You're looking for the player's tell. And I think to a certain extent, that's what you saw. Carter's right. I mean, Schlumberger, Baker Hughes, Halliburton, I mean, that's probably north of 50% of the OIH ETF. They're still relatively, if you want to get into fundamentals, despite the move we've seen, they're still pretty inexpensive in terms of valuation. And they're better companies than they were uh, the last time crude had a market move to the upside. Obviously, crude's going nowhere now. I'll say this in terms of Exxon quickly before I turn it back over to you, Dan. Yes, Exxon is not trading well today, but it's still only about $6 or so, so less than 5% from its recent all-time high. When I say recent, I think that was in November 22nd, if memory serves, of about 114. So the stock has sold off a little bit, but it too is hanging in there. My point in all this is, despite the fact that the commodity cannot get out of its own way, the energy stocks have not only held in, but they've actually provided some beta to the upside. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I'm going to take another shot on the XLE to the short side. I think it was early November when the XLE was about 90, and I put on a 90, um, 75 put spread. And I think I had it down to maybe the low 80s or so, and I kind of took it off a little bit. But I want to see, like, what kind of oomph. If you look at that OAH guy that you just mentioned, you know, it gapped higher today. It's trading very near the lows of the day here. So to me, it, you know, again, might they be getting a, a little exhausted at these levels where there's a lot of overhead resistance? Who knows? All right. Another great call you made last week. and It was a near-term call. But I actually want to get a sense of, like, how much you want to ride this, Carter, was in Tesla. And, and you came out with this, I want to say, on Thursday – um, and you drew some lines on some charts and it looked like some pretty decent um, support at a really oversold level here. Walk us through this and, and how much are you looking to play for? Because pretty interestingly, in two trading days from the lows, I think maybe either from Friday morning or Thursday, you know, Tesla's up 20 percent, but it's unchanged on the year, which just shows you how oversold it got in such a short term. Uh, right. Short period of time. right. Well, day to day, uh, just for starters. So it's just been short for a long time, and then it was at 138 and a quarter about two weeks ago. Made the case it was titled nibble, uh, yeah. close out shorts and uh, do some buy. Now uh, that didn't work, right? It went from 138 to as low as 104. Um, we reiterated it uh, because we were down to those trend lines. There you see the arrows. We could put them, take them away, put them back. It's very precise. Uh, and uh, the lines are what they are. I didn't manipulate them. They're perfectly parallel because so often the case it is 
technical. There's no valuation. Never, never was valuation on Tesla. So was it expensive at the top? Is it expensive still? Is it cheap now? Cheap at the top? <laughs> it's all just a moving of money charts levels. I think it's going to bounce. It's not bounce where I thought the initial bounce would occur, but I would stick with it. Yeah. I, I mean, listen, from a purely technical standpoint, guy, I'd love to get your take. I mean, again, that makes total sense. Take the name off the chart and, and no, you, you know, that sort of thing. It, it just seems from a fundamental standpoint, it, it still seems really challenged, but it was so oversold and there might've been some technical issues about margin calls and, and, and selling in that regard too. It's just for me, it's, it's just nothing to do here because I feel like there's other fundamental shoes to drop, but maybe that happens from 150 or something like that, which was trading at two weeks ago. I think, I think that's the exact right level. Somewhere between uh, you know 135 and 150, which is probably the bounce level, and then you put it out again, and that's been the right course of action. When I say put it out again, you either sell it again if you're long or if you've caught the bounce, as Carter suggested, you do what we call in the business, sell the double, which means get out of your existing long. And not only that, but then get short looking for that subsequent move. Again, off time decay at this will take us significantly lower than $100. So if this downtrend line, the bottom of this channel that Carter drew is correct, on time decay alone, you're talking about a stock to potentially get down to 85 bucks or so, Dan. All right, man. Well, you know what? That, that was good, by the way. Yeah, that was that was excellent. We just kind of surrounded the trade here. Um, all right, Carter. Well, we really appreciate you coming in here, man. And um, Thanks, you know, nothing, nothing slick, just charts. Um, or, yeah. You know, not Renee Descartes, just charts. I think that was the other one. By the way, somebody on Twitter. By the way, can I just say this before we get out? I know we got to clip this stuff and want it to be clean, but the unbuttoned top button is on both of you, by the way. You notice Ooh. I'm fully buttoned very sexy here in the new year. Very Engelbert Humperdinck of you both. Just thought I'd throw that out. If you don't know who Engelbert Humperdinck is, please Google it. Go to your Google machine and check that out. But that's it for today's market call. Thank the audience. We had a robust audience today. A lot of comments I couldn't get to. I apologize. I want to thank FactSet for not only sponsoring Dan, but for being our data provider. Yeah. You and I will be back tomorrow at 1 p.m. Eastern time, which, as I mentioned at the top of the show, really, as we think about it, do any other time zones really matter? No, because everything is sort of predicated on the East Coast. And with that touch of arrogance, I bid you all a fond farewell. See you later. Thanks. Thanks.